It's nearly 12 o'clock, and time for the KMXT Midday Report. Thank you for listening to KMXT. On 100.1 FM, it is your public radio station broadcasting from beautiful downtown Kodiak, Alaska, where it is currently 55 degrees under what they're calling mostly cloudy skies. It certainly has been a nice day today. Out at the airport, they have 53% humidity, west winds to 6 miles per hour, and 10 miles of visibility. Weather service is calling for mostly sunny skies for the rest of the day, with a high near 56, west winds to 20, gusting to 30. Mostly cloudy tonight with a low around 46, 50% chance of showers after 1 a.m., southwest winds to 5, and partly sunny tomorrow with a high near 57, south winds to 10. Coming up on the Midday Report, the city of Kodiak is in the first phases of acquiring the Griffin Memorial Hospital. Residents of the Matsu Borough continue to weigh in on the school board's bathroom policy for transgender students. And Juno voters will be deciding on a proposition about sharing real estate sales prices with the city tax assessor. Those stories and more after this. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Russia's calling them referendums. NATO says they're a sham. People in southern and eastern portions of Ukraine are being asked to choose whether to join the Russian Federation, but under a Russian occupation backed by pro-Kremlin separatists, critics say the vote is not much of a choice. It violates international law. NPR's Kat Lonsdorf has more from Earlier for Ukraine. Authorities are going door to door with paper ballots in the four areas of Russian-occupied Ukraine. That's according to Russian media. And many in Ukraine, as well as in the international community, say it's illegitimate. It's all fake, obviously fake, said one 62-year-old man whose name we're withholding for safety. He just left Melitopol, a city controlled by Russia, where he says he saw busloads of Russia supporters brought in for the vote. If successful, the referendum could pave the way for Russia to annex the land and claim any attempt by Ukraine to get it back as an attack on Russian soil itself. Kat Lonsdorf, NPR News, Dnipro, Ukraine. Syrian officials say at least 70 people drowned after a boat carrying migrants from Lebanon sank yesterday off Syria's coast. Here's NPR's Fatmatanis. Syrian authorities say the boat went down with at least 120 Lebanese, Palestinian, and Syrian nationals on board. Women and children were among those found dead. Many others are still missing as authorities say rescue attempts are ongoing. The boat was believed to be heading toward Europe. In recent months, thousands of migrants from Lebanon have attempted to make the dangerous crossing as the country is facing one of the worst financial meltdowns in the world. Fatmatanis reporting. Tesla's counter suing a California state agency responsible for protecting residents from discrimination. The electric car maker, led by billionaire Elon Musk, has faced a series of legal actions from the agency as well as former employees who allege bias and abuse at a plant. Tesla denies it has violated any laws. Tennis great Roger Federer today is playing what's expected to be the final match of his legendary career. Federer teaming with his longtime rival Rafael Nadal in a doubles match at the Labor Cup in London. 
NPR's Tom Goldman has more. 20-time Grand Slam singles champion Roger Federer announced last week he would end a career that had become weighed down by injury. Now his final match is a fitting pairing, not against, but with Rafael Nadal of Spain, winner of 22 Grand Slams. Their fierce but friendly rivalry since the early 2000s has helped define what's been considered a golden age in men's tennis, featuring those two along with Novak Djokovic and, to a lesser extent, Andy Murray. All four are on the European team taking on a world team in the Laver Cup. In their doubles match, Federer and Nadal play Americans Jack Sock and Francis Tiafo, who had his breakout moment at the recent U.S. Open, getting to the semifinals in men's singles. Tom Goldman, NPR News. It's NPR. NPR News is presentada a usted en parte por la Providence Cordiac Island Centro de Asoramiento. Para una cita o más información, por favor llama al 907-481-2400. For KMXT, I'm Terry Haynes. The city of Kodiak is in the beginning phases of acquiring the Griffin Memorial Hospital building, located just outside the downtown core. KMXT's Kirsten Dobroth reports the building is a relic of local history. The state of Alaska owns the Griffin Memorial Hospital building. That's the square white facility that sits next to the Russian Orthodox Church near Kodiak's waterfront. The building is currently vacant, and back in 2020, the state deemed the facility a surplus property. Now the city of Kodiak has the opportunity to acquire the building through transfer of ownership. At a work session on Tuesday, Deputy City Manager Josie Banke said that's a different process than buying the building. We understand the surplus and transfer of ownership is a zero-dollar cost to the city. Um, as for indirect costs, as far as staff time, we anticipate you know, the time to spend working with the state. The property is a piece of Kodiak history. Back in 1937, the Alaska State Legislature appropriated $25,000 to build the Griffin Memorial Hospital. It opened three years later as the island's first modern medical facility. The 18-bed hospital served the Kodiak community for nearly three decades before a new facility was built on Rezanov Drive to replace it. In the years since, it's housed a number of different state offices, including most recently Kodiak's Public Health Center. There's a few steps involved with transferring ownership, and city staff would need to draft legislation indicating the city's intent to acquire the property. Any ordinances moving forward with the transfer of ownership would need approval from the city council. There currently isn't a plan for what the building would be used for, but city officials present at Tuesday's work session indicated their support for starting the process. Council member Charlie Davidson. Um, 10% in support of having staff pursue this, so some kind of public use facility like this would be definitely in our needs in the future. There's no definitive timeline for transferring ownership of the Griffin Memorial Hospital building, but city staff said on Tuesday that it could take several months. In Kodiak, I'm Kirsten Dobrath. Residents of the Matanuska Susitna borough continue to weigh in on the school board's bathroom policy for transgender students. At Wednesday's meeting, Opponents argued that the district's new policy is discriminatory. Alaska Public Media's Katie Anastas reports. Earlier this month, the Matsu School Board voted to suspend a policy that allowed transgender students to use bathrooms and locker rooms that match their gender identity. At that meeting, more than two dozen people spoke in favor of suspending the policy. The only community member to speak against it then was the board's student representative, Vanessa Shackle. 
She said it was important to consider the perspective of students and staff, not just parents. And she said students felt like verifying someone's gender assigned at birth was an invasion of privacy. Students' use of the bathroom has become an over-sexualized conversation amongst persons outside of school. Wednesday's meeting drew additional opponents of the change. Miles McDonald is transgender and a former student in the district. McDonald said bathroom policies like these add to the stress that queer and trans kids already face. These kids are a part of your community, whether you like it or not. So please stop trying to make life harder for them. Growing up queer is already one of the hardest parts of youth to come to terms to when you feel that you aren't accepted by anyone else and it's constantly proven to you. Jessica Young told the board it could threaten the economic future of the area. Kids will go to college and never come back to the Matsu because they will understand that they are accepted other places. Kids will move out deliberately. Young educated people will move out deliberately. Businesses will decide not to come here because of discriminatory policies. Young also mentioned that September is National Suicide Prevention Month. And that the single biggest indicator of whether or not a trans child will attempt or complete suicide is how affirming their parents, school, and friends are. Others spoke in favor of the September 7th decision. Ron Johnson has three great-grandchildren in the district, and he said the board's decision had broad support. Matt Sue supports this. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. I've been coming to the last two three school board meetings. Uh, this reflects the values of our community. The board's vote earlier this month temporarily suspended the policy allowing students to use bathrooms matching their gender identity. But the school board could be required to reinstate that policy if the Federal Department of Education finalizes changes to Title IX it proposed in June. Wednesday's meeting also included a vote on whether teachers should be required to set aside between one and two minutes each morning for a moment of silence. According to the policy, a teacher, quote, may not make suggestions as to the nature of any reflection that a student may engage in during the moment of silence, unquote. In 1985, the Supreme Court struck down an Alabama state statute because it established a moment of silence for, quote, meditation or voluntary prayer, unquote. The Matsu School Board's policy does not mention prayer or meditation, but it instructs teachers to, quote, encourage parents or guardians to discuss with their children how to best use the moment of silence, unquote. It passed 5-1, to one, with board member Dwight Probasco voting no. Probasco said he thought the policy should give teachers the option to set aside a moment of silence rather than mandate it. In Anchorage, I'm Katie Anastas. Voting is underway in Juneau's local election. Proposition 4 would repeal measures the Juneau Assembly adopted in 2020 and this past February that mandates sharing real estate prices with the city with the city assessor's office. Supporters of the repeal say the mandate is an invasion of privacy and expect it to lead to higher property taxes. Most assembly members oppose the repeal. They say disclosing sales prices will lead to more fair and accurate assessments, particularly for higher-end properties, which tend to get undervalued when assessed. KTOO's Jerry Michet reports. The assessor's job is to determine the fair market value of every parcel of property in Juneau every year. These values directly affect property tax bills and the balance of who pays for city services. Real estate professionals and developers are leading the repeal effort, which began with the citizen petition process. 
They often point out how common it is for jurisdictions with mandatory disclosure laws to enact real estate transfer taxes that they say add to the cost of housing. Here's how the group leading the repeal effort, Protect Juno Homeowners Privacy, boil it down into a Facebook video. I'm a small business owner and a homeowner. I don't pay attention to Juno's politics very closely, but this issue caught my attention. Mandatory disclosure without a vote of the people sounds like a tax grab to me. That's why I'm voting yes on Prop 4 to repeal this ordinance. That's Gary Stevens. He runs a car repair shop in Juneau. Assembly members say the mandate is not about boosting tax revenue. Mayor Beth Weldon voted against the original mandate and didn't want to share how she'll vote on the repeal question, but she said she was disappointed with some of the messaging from repeal supporters. We have never said that we were going to do a transfer tax. Quite frankly, we're spending millions, and I mean millions, on dollars on trying to make housing affordable in Juno. And why would we make housing more expensive in one hand and then spend millions on the other hand to make it cheaper? It just does not make any sense. No assembly members have taken any steps or indicated that they want to create a real estate transfer tax. Realtor Kimmy Ott hosts a podcast called What Juno About Real Estate. In a May episode, she said she just doesn't buy that. The city has been saying to, oh, no, we're never going to implement a transfer tax. I am calling bull because you guys have not kept your word. You you changed the game on everyone. She was referring to an update the assembly made in February to the disclosure mandate. At first, the information had to be kept confidential. But after property owners fighting their assessments demanded more transparency, the assembly ditched confidentiality. The main argument from supporters of real estate disclosure is more nuanced. During a forum last week, Assemblymember and unopposed candidate Carol Treem said she's voting against the repeal. She wants to keep the mandate in place. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. Mandatory disclosure will help lower the property taxes of middle and low-income homeowners because it will even that out with the higher-income properties that, that don't come on the market quite as frequently. Let's unpack that. Why would mandatory disclosures lead to lower property tax bills for lower-income property owners? And why aren't higher-income property owners already evened out? Without the mandate, the assessor's office already had a lot of publicly available market information for common types of real estate sales, like for tract homes. The more market data it has, the more confident it is about its assessments being accurate and fair. But for extraordinary properties, say for custom homes or commercial buildings, the market is much smaller. Sales are less frequent, and they tend to be more private. So the assessor's office has to make more guesses about Juno's most valuable properties. The city finance director has said in a memo that the assessor's office tends to undervalue properties it has limited information about. The Alaska legislature's nonpartisan research service examined the issue in 2014, and its researcher came to the same conclusion on a statewide level. Basically, Shreem thinks the mandate will raise assessments of Juno's most expensive but generally underassessed properties and have little effect on the assessments of more common properties. Having that information out there in the housing market, this crazy housing market that we've seen, will only help buyers and sellers when they have a full, transparent you know, view of the housing market. I would urge people to vote against that, uh, to vote no on the mandatory disclosure. We asked several assembly members what they would do if there was an abrupt increase in overall property assessments. Answers varied, but lowering the property tax rate was on the table. In Juneau, I'm Jeremy Shea. Hundreds of people in western Alaska have been unable to drink water straight from the tap this week, 
following the storm surge from the remnants of Typhoon Murbach. As Emily Schwing reports, residents in Chivac have been boiling their water for the last week. At the Chivac Company Corporation store, a gallon of water is priced at $11. It is, it is more than a gallon of gas. How much is a gallon of gas? About a little over five bucks, five fifty, I think. Robert Paniak has been boiling his water all week after the remnants of the storm knocked out power to Chivac's water plant. Justina Cholok is a clerk at the store. She and co-worker Mamie Napoleon say there's still plenty of water in stock at the store because Chivac residents have options beyond the city water system. I don't really drink the sink water. Okay. I drink from water from the well and rainwater. Rainwater is really good. You've yep. got you to taste it, man. Okay. Rainwater is really good. Yep, it's really good. And is that usually what you drink is the rainwater? Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's more fresher than sink. Okay. Sink water. Cecilia Atchak is Chivac's city clerk. She says she's getting tired of boiling water every time she gets thirsty. That's our main source. We use water for everything, for cooking, for washing dishes, for laundry. After the storm, Chivac was without power for nearly three days. At the water plant, pressure in a pump fell below a state-required threshold and triggered the community's boil water notice. John Achak is the plant operator. He's still waiting for test results from a lab in Bethel, where he was required to send samples. He says usually he gets results back within a day or two. It's been three days so far, but he's not too worried. Well, uh, when they're not calling me, it's good. No news is good news. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Still, he says if it were up to him, the community would be better prepared. Yeah, I would have tons of bottled water in here already ready to distribute uh, if we lose any water pressure. Tribal leadership in Chivac has not requested water from the state, but the tribal office has been fielding calls and emails from nonprofit organizations willing to send water. The tribe has delivered bottled water locally to roughly 20 elders. A spokesperson with the Alaska Department of Homeland Security and Emergency Management says under most circumstances, a community would have to make a formal request for bottled water. Hooper Bay is the only community so far that's done so. They received an emergency drinking water delivery from the state on Tuesday. In Chivac, I'm Emily Schwing. Read Diverse, Read Indie on Insight Daily Radio. Conversations with today's most influential authors from the world of independent publishing. The Makings of Me, My Journey to Seven Figures from My Living Room, is an inspirational and entrepreneurial new book from author Tiffany Harris that follows the emotional roller coaster of her life and self-made success with her thriving business, Custom Creations. Fresh and raw, yet honest and open, she lays bare what it has taken her to make it on her life's journey as she literally climbed to success from her living room. We spoke with her about this inspiring new book. I have a Facebook group, and it has about five or 6,000 people in it that follow me. To me, they are my family because when I started my business, they pushed me. They gave me the prayers that I needed, so I'm teaching them these things. I just started seeing my family members crumble. And it was just in my group, people, houses burning down, just all types of stuff. And I said, you know what? They were praying. They were doing what they felt they needed to do, but they were still on that give up train. So I figured, God, now is the time. Now is the time to write the book. I can tell all these people 
how I've been through so much and came out on top still and still came from the projects and I did it. And I pushed my publicist. We're going to get this book written in nine months. Let's go. And we did it. We did it. We did it. And I went bestseller and international bestseller. That's author Tiffany Harris on her fascinating new book, The Makings of Me, My Journey to Seven Figures from My Living Room, which is available wherever books are sold. Read Diverse, Read Indie is presented by the Independent Book Publishers Association. This is the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages, the weather, and community announcements. Good afternoon and welcome to your Island Messenger for Friday. It is the 23rd day of September, the year 2022. The sun rose today at 7.57. It will set again at 8.05. That will give us 12 hours and 8 minutes of daylight. A loss of 4 minutes and 56 seconds compared to yesterday. Our record low for this date was 29 degrees. That was set in 1992, 2003, and last year, 2021. Our record high was 64 degrees, set in 1951. Currently 55 degrees, mostly cloudy skies. We're looking for west winds to 20 miles per hour today, gusting to 30. With mostly sunny skies for the rest of the day. For tomorrow, partly sunny, high near 57, south winds to 10, 50% chance of showers tomorrow. And for Sunday, partly sunny skies, 40% chance of showers after 10 a.m., high of 58 on Sunday, with south winds to 10, turning to the east. Looking at our local tides, we have a high tide coming up here on the east side. That will happen at 1.51 this afternoon and be 7.4 feet, followed by a low tide at 7.28 this evening of 2 feet. Over on the west side, your high tide will happen at 2.17 this afternoon and be 12.8 feet in Larson Bay. The next low tide will be at 8.15 this evening and be 2.4 feet. Let's check in with the brand new one for the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. This is the Alaska Department of Fish and Game with Kodiak Commercial Salmon Fishery Advisory Announcement Number 38. This announcement was issued at 10 a.m. September 22nd. There will be a 54-hour commercial salmon fishing period from noon Sunday, September 25th to 6 p.m. Tuesday, September 27th in the following areas. The Eastside Kodiak District, except the Inner Ugak and Outer Ugak Bay sections, remain closed. The Outer Iaculic, Halibut Bay, Sturgeon, and Outer Carlick sections of the Southwest Kodiak District, and the Central and North Cape sections of the Northwest Kodiak District. As previously announced, fishermen are reminded that until further notice, in that portion of the Northwest Kodiak and Southwest Kodiak Districts, south of the latitude of Cape Kuliak, Chinook salmon 28 inches or greater in length may not be retained by person gear in the commercial fishery and must be returned to the water unharmed. Closed waters are shown on the Kodiak area salmon statistical chart and detailed in the commercial salmon fishing regulations. Statistical charts, harvest strategies, and commercial salmon fishing regulations are available at the Kodiak Fishing Game Office. Recent salmon fishery information may be obtained by calling 486-4559. 
Mariners, here is your forecast for Marmot Island to Sitkanak, Kodiak's east side offshore. Small craft advisory through Saturday. West winds to 30 knots today, seas to 10 feet. For tomorrow, southwest 20, seas to 8 feet. Over in the Shelikoff Strait, small craft advisory for today. West winds to 25 knots and seas building to 7 feet in the Shelikoff today. For tonight, southwest 20 and seas to 6 feet, subsiding to 4 feet after midnight. And for tomorrow, south 15, seas to 3 feet. Saturday night, south 20, seas coming back up to 4 feet. There will be a Board of Education retreat tomorrow, beginning at 9 a.m. in Room 106 in the Benny Benson Building at Kodiak College. The meeting agenda for this meeting can be viewed in Board Docs. For more information, contact Trinity Higginbotham, Secretary to the Board of Education, at 907-486-7566. Fairwinds Players needs actors for a Halloween-themed show they're putting on in early October called Boo. Open auditions will be held starting tomorrow and going on Sunday as well from noon to 2 p.m. in the Drama Pod at the Gerald C. Wilson Auditorium. All ages, all levels of experience are welcome. The show is mostly a series of 12 short skits that are fun, funny, and won't require a lot of rehearsal or memorization. It's a great way to dip your toes into acting if you've ever had that desire. Contact Mike if you're interested at 907 654-4171 or email gm at kmxt.org for questions, a script, or to arrange a separate audition if you have a conflict. Kodiak High School Cross Country and Island Trails Network are having a community-run jog walk tomorrow. That's happening along the Near Island Trail. It's a 4.5-mile event starting at the North End Trailhead parking lot. Sign-up starts at 9.30 in the morning, and the run-jog-walk will start at 10. No fee, but donations are welcome. All participants will receive a map showing all of the Near Island trails. Again, that's tomorrow. It starts at the North End Trailhead parking lot. Sign-up starts at 9.30 in the morning. Kodiak Salmon Life is having their celebration. It's been a couple of years. That's happening Sunday at the Abercrombie Pavilion. Free admission, open to all. It's potluck style. In fact, bring your favorite dish and get ready to listen to some live music. Bring the whole family to this community celebration of the salmon season and how salmon connects all of Kodiak. Again, that's this next Sunday, Fort Abercrombie Park at the Pavilion, starting at 3, going through 7 p.m. Saturday, October 1st, the Humane Society of Kodiak is having their Walk Your Dog event. Join in for the fun with dogs and their humans. Pre-register online or the day of the walk. Registration on the day of the walk is $15. T-shirt pickup and the day of registration begins at 9.30 a.m. And that's happening at Kodiak College. Again, Saturday, October 1st, Kodiak College starts at 9.30 a.m. There will be a celebration of life for Bill Harrington on Saturday, October 1st from 4 to 7 p.m. at Tony's. Everyone in the community is welcome to come. Please bring a potluck dish to share, an instrument to play if you feel like jamming, and your memories and good cheer. They're looking forward to seeing you there. Again, that's Saturday, October 1st from 4 to 7 p.m. at Tony's.
Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the Midday Report at 1220, and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org. Kodiak, and welcome to the September 23rd edition of Island Byways. I'm Pam Foreman. It must be autumn. There were seven swans on Mission Lake Thursday evening for the autumnal equinox. On the equinox, the sun lies directly over the equator, and the number of daylight hours equals those of nighttime hours. Well, not quite. Here in Kodiak, we had about 12 hours and 13 minutes or so of daylight on Thursday. It's not until Sunday, the 25th, that we have a nearly perfect split between night and day. Sunrise on Sunday is at 8.01, and sunset is just shy of 8 p.m. Kind of puzzling. But as usual, there is a logical explanation. Because we say sunrise is the moment the top edge of the sun crosses the horizon in the east, and sunset is the moment the top edge of the sun disappears below the horizon in the west, we're effectively adding time to daylight hours. If we measured the sunrise and sunset as the moment the center of the sun crossed the horizon, the length of day and night would be equal on the equinox. As it is, equilux is the day when that phenomenon occurs. Not only is Sunday the equilux, it is the day we get to gather as a community to celebrate salmon life and the end of the salmon season. There will be music, activities for the kids, and a potluck. It's free and open to everyone. Salmon life is happening at the Fort Abercrombie Pavilion Sunday between 3 and 7 p.m. Hope to see you there. Have you registered for KMXT's Run the Rock yet? Better hurry, the early bird rates for this event go away at midnight on Sunday. Run the Rock is Saturday, October 8th. You can register online at kmxt.org. And that's it for Island Byways this week. Have fun and stay safe out there. Thanks for listening.